If you create content around what you're obsessed with, your audience, the right audiences are naturally going to gravitate towards you. If a video performs bad, I'm like, okay, that's just a data point. It's all a data point. The fear of putting yourself out there can be very scary. Because of this feedback loop, in a year or two, you're living your dream. If every single person likes what you're putting out and you're trying to please everyone, it's not gonna be any good. I'm Amanda Glazer, and today I'm your host on The Rough Draft. In this episode, I talk with content creator and solopreneur, Courtney Johnson. Courtney has such a fascinating methodology on creative storytelling. Her delivery mechanism is primarily social media, but she uses many types of digital marketing to grow her personal brand as a mentor and consultant. We talk about how she focuses on creating a lot of content, no matter how good or bad she thinks it is, and how this not only led to her overall success, but also generated nearly 8 million views on what she would say is objectively a bad piece of content. We get into her simple daily habits, different tools used in her workflow, and how a content creator should never leave anything in their drafts. All right, here's my conversation with Courtney Johnson. Okay, so Courtney, I had so many things I was excited to talk to you about um, by way of storytelling and creativity and productivity. Um, but I was watching, I went back and rewatched some of your TikToks last night and um, your tram posts get so much traction. I want to hear about your tram and why you make that that content. Yeah, so I have a crazy house. It's It's actually not that crazy. It's kind of a normal house, but it's on like this cliff mountain. So it's only accessible by a tram. This is what it's like living in a house that's only accessible by tram. I'm finally answering all of y'all's tram questions. Courtney, why is there a tram at your house? Guys, I don't know. I didn't build the house. That's not a tram. That's a funicular. I know it's a funicular, but tram house just sounds cooler. Next question. Where do I get my deliveries? On all of the instruction stuff, I just tell people to put deliveries on the tram. Yes, a lot of people get confused. And lastly, is it only my tram or do I share it? The tram is only for my house. I am solely responsible for it. And yes, there is security and I can lock it luckily i've been obsessed with this house since i was like in high school like it was on my vision this, board this exact house yeah when i was like yeah because it was a airbnb oh uh, when airbnb launched in like 2008 so i was a teenager no being way like, oh my gosh I, I gotta i gotta go here one day and yeah i i bought the house crazy enough but honestly the house I'm like, this is an investment because this is a content investment. And I did know that buying that particular house over buying another house would be good for content. And it did work. So tell me a little bit about um, what you do on the tram. Because I know it takes three minutes to get down, three minutes to get back up. I, I actually habit stack a lot of things in my life. So I habit stack my meditation on the tram because I have to go up and down at least once a day. And so I know I'll at least have six minutes of meditation. That's like the smallest amount, right? The the least thing I can do. It's the same like in the car. I If I'm driving, I'm gonna listen to an audiobook at least one leg of the trip of wherever I'm going. So even that's just like coming home from the grocery store, that's at least 10 minutes that I'm reading, right? It's the habit stacking. Okay, so tell me about habit stacking and why that's important to your process. Why, why do you meditate for six minutes a day and read 10 minutes out of a book every day? Yeah, I think when it comes to habits, a lot of people try to go overboard where let's say you want to start working out. You think you have to go to the gym for an hour every single day. You're never going to be successful doing that. Instead, what you can do is do a two minute YouTube mini workout video in between a meeting, right? Like that is the thing that's actually accessible. So with my daily habits, I have what's called a non-negotiable. So I have to do everything for at least 30 seconds that way there is no way to fail. Like you can only succeed doing that. And of course you can build on that, but there's no zero days, no days where I don't accomplish those because the things are so easy and I haven't made it this overwhelming thing for myself. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of those non-negotiables? Meditation, going on a walk. I have a dog, so I literally have to go on a walk. Like she will go crazy if not. Um, so that's again, forces me to do it. A mini workout, I'm talking two minutes a mini like stretch or yoga, again, two minutes, anything more is a plus, uh, and journaling, writing. Okay, so it's a normal day. You've gotten all of your daily non-negotiables done. Um, what does the rest of the day look like for you maybe on a normal work day? 
usually in the morning I create content. A lot of times my content ideas kind of come when I'm journaling or free writing. So I get ready for the day, create content right after, and I try to batch as much as I can. So I have a rule that if I'm going to make like one TikTok video, I might as well make two. Even if the second one is bad, I'm at least going to have that in my drafts. And again, going back to not setting these unrealistic expectations for myself, if if I make a bad, I make one video I'm proud of, I post it. I do another bad video. Instead of deleting it, I'm going to put it in my drafts. Two weeks in the future, maybe I'll look back at that and be like, hey, wait, this was actually good. Like where my mind was at the time, I thought it was bad, but this is a unique idea. Like I can go with this. But I think so often we'll throw away those those things without even considering that they may be good or somebody might find value in it. And then after that, I go downtown to my co-working space, usually do some calls, work on some brand partnerships, um, work on my my courses. And then I usually go to like a yoga class or hang out with friends or something and go home. And yeah, that's my my day. I, what I think is interesting about that is, you know, a lot of times as creators, sometimes we get so caught up in I want it to be really good. I want it to be interesting. I want people to like it and engage with it. Um, how do you get over that? Like, what do you, how do you think through putting yourself out there? Because you are really your brand. And so you are the face of all of your advice, all of your content. How do you, how do you think through that and get over that kind of hump of, oh, I don't want to put myself out there. It might be bad. There's, there's a lot. Um, first you just have to see all of your content as an experiment. Everything is a little science experiment, every piece of content you're putting out. And if you, overthink it. A lot of times that limits the amount of volume you can put out. So you're not going to get good results because you're not seeing patterns. Like if you want to get good results, fine, like in your content, you have to put out a large volume, go back, look at what patterns you saw, whether that's your format, the topics, like how you're presenting yourself, maybe even where you are. And then it becomes very easy to recreate and recreate. But again, the the fear of putting yourself out there can be very scary. And I think a big part of that is because we have these expectations for ourselves or how we should show up, this fear around what other people will think of us. But it's it's important if you feel called to create content that it's to know that it's your responsibility. Like not only is, yeah, this is the thing you want to do and it's important, but it is your responsibility because by putting out your art or making your music or publishing your book or whatever, it's not only sharing your information with the world, which is great, but also giving other people permission to do that as mm-hmm. well. So the more we can all like support each other in that, and the more you can surround yourself with people that are creating content or art or whatever their medium might be, the easier it's going to be for you to do it too. Mm. That's normalized. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the way that I've kind of gotten over my own fear of posting anything is by seeing your content or somebody else's content, especially where they address that, mm-hmm. like where we just call it out and um, you call it the cringe mountain. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about the cringe mountain because it's one of my favorite things to think through when I'm creating my own content. I, I love the concept of the cringe mountain. I have to say, I did not create this. A lot of people will tag me. I'm like, I didn't make this. I saw it on Twitter once and I cannot find the original creator, but you have a mountain with two valleys on either side. And you have to climb and climb and climb up the mountain. But as you climb up, there's going to be people that are in the base of the mountain being like, "What? where does she think she's going? What does he think he's doing? Who does she think she is? You're going to feel really uncomfortable because you're doing it in public. You're doing it to where everybody can see you. But once you get over the mountain, you're in the valley where everyone else who has conquered the cringe mountain is. And the truth is, none of those people are going to discourage you. Like if you post your very first YouTube video, David Dobrik's not going to comment and be like, well, this sucks. Like, man, <laughs> like your lighting is awful. No, if he saw your YouTube video, he'd be like, ah, oh, keep going. That's how I started too. Amazing. Right. Or if you start a new podcast and you mess up some stuff like Joe Rogan's not going to be like, that podcast sucks. He's going to be like, oh, keep going. I'm on my 5,000th podcast. Right. So anyone in the land of cool who's got over it is not going to to discourage you. It's only the people that are too afraid to even embark on the mountain. The the people who have been, you know, just in my own journey that have been the most supportive have been the people, yeah, who've gotten over it and who are, who have kind of embraced that vulnerability of, you know, any, any 
type of self-expression is, is vulnerable because it's like, Hey, this is who I am and I'm putting it out there. And so, especially when you're the face of your brand, it's, it's just that much more, you know, vulnerable. It's like, this is, this is me. And one of the other things you talk about is, uh, your engagement with trolls. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. (laughs) Trolls, trolls are tools. Trolls are tools. Um, you can leverage the trolls in your content. If you get people arguing in your comment section, or if a lot of people disagree with what you're saying, your video is going to take off. Your content's going to take off. I, I, if every single person likes what you're putting out and you're trying to please mm. everyone, it's not going to be any good. Like any good piece of art that has ever been created, it is had polarization. Like polarization right. is the tension that makes something good. So yeah, you can use the trolls. Like, don't be afraid of them. Invite them in. If if you want your video (laughs) to perform well, there's going to be trolls. And trolls is a sign of like, oh yeah, I made it. Like, that's a huge milestone. I got my first (laughs) troll. Like, yes, because nobody relevant lacks trolls. Like every, again, person that's on the other side of the cringe mountain has a ton of trolls. And that's a badge of honor. Yeah, that's such a good way to think about it as a badge of honor and and a tool to get you know, to get the algorithm to notice you too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, something's happening over here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you have a ton of content on LinkedIn, on TikTok, Instagram. Um, Mm -hmm. You have courses that you teach that show people how to be successful content creators. What's kind of your favorite part of all of that? What's your favorite channel? My favorite part is the writing. So LinkedIn tends to be my favorite channel. I'm a writer by trade. And my first, the first place I'm going to go to put out an idea is writing. Like I'll write something in my notes app and it's fun to take that writing and turn that into a video or turn that into something else. But the base, like the core of it, the writing is my favorite part. And I also really like LinkedIn because it is just the easiest place to grow. Everybody on LinkedIn is boring So if you can have like a single iota of personality, you're going to succeed on LinkedIn, whatever your goal is, whether that's like to get a new job or to get more clients or to sell your product or to educate somebody on some issue, like LinkedIn is just the easiest place to do it. I like the other platforms too, but LinkedIn is easy and it's like the shortest route to your goal. I think I've noticed that too, is like, there's, there's just less people there. And so you can kind of rise to the top and, and especially if you're looking to you know, monetize whatever it is you're doing. You want to get more clients. You want to sell something. You want to get a job. That's where those people are is on LinkedIn. And that's usually why they're engaging with that channel versus, you know, an Instagram or TikTok where people are just looking to be entertained. Exactly. Like there are more content consumers and content creators on LinkedIn, which is really rare. And then people are already going to LinkedIn for business decisions. Right. I I do a lot of social media and marketing consulting and I've never got a client from TikTok or or Instagram or anything, all from LinkedIn. So huge, huge opportunity. Even if you're not in a traditional like business space, I still think you should be on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So you've gotten, you know, like more business from LinkedIn, but you still create a lot of content on -hmm. TikTok. What's the kind of benefit to creating all of that TikTok content as well? It reaches more people. I have a much bigger audience on TikTok and I do really enjoy creating videos. It's a a little bit of a different audience. It's more younger people that are looking to me for business advice, marketing advice. And I really enjoy getting to influence people's decision-making because content is how we make decisions, right? If you're going to Mm. you know, start a business. You're going to Google, how do I start a business? Read through some content, some blogs, watch some YouTube and make your decisions this way. Like that is huge. The fact that we can impact other people's decisions. And that's just like one example. Maybe the example is like, what should I eat for dinner? Or maybe it's even something that's like, who should I vote for? Whatever, whatever you care about, that is influenced by content. And TikTok is a huge place to have influence right now. And the word influence and influencer is like thrown around as silly. Like, no, you are impacting other people's decision-making. That is, that is like world changing. That's how I, like how we met, how Mm -hmm. I found you was through TikTok and I came across your cheat codes. I love them. And I think everybody should go and watch those videos. So I have a series on TikTok called Problematic Career Cheat Codes. And I wanted to share the things that I felt were not talked about in normal career spaces. Like this is the advice that you're never going to read in a book or 
Google career tips and find it on the first page. Like these are things that you kind of have to go through it to learn. And there are also things that kind of shocked me or surprised me. I'm like, why, why did I not know this? Why did I not mm-hmm. learn this in college? And so I wanted to share that with other people. So they, especially young people starting their career, didn't have to go through the same mistakes or things that happen in order for me to figure out like, oh, aha, actually what they're telling you isn't always right. This is how you should act. This is how you should dress. This is how to, you know, lead people. This is how to make people like you in your office, all, all that stuff. It's interesting too, that you call them problematic cheat codes. I think there's something really smart there because it's, uh, you're, you're kind of putting this like negative connotation on it, right? Which is very kind of hooky and gets people's attention. Is is that intentional? It is intentional. Some of them are a little bit problematic and things that I, some are things that I have not implemented myself, but I see other people mm. do and I see people have an advantage by doing them. And so even if it's something that maybe I'm not going to implement myself, I still want to share that information because I want people to know that other people are doing this, people to decide for themselves whether they want to do that or not. But I want the information to be out there. So there is parts that are problematic. Majority of the tips are not problematic. It's it's baiting the, the <laughs> clickbait, <laughs> baiting the viewers. <laughs> I think there's something, yeah, just in, in general, when we're consuming content, you know, I want to consume something different. I don't want the same tip telling me the same thing over and over again. I don't want one more video telling me how to make a chicken thigh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so your personal brand revolves around educating other people, would you say? Um, mm-hmm. Doing that uh, through your content, through your videos or your writing. Is that how you would describe kind of what your insight is or what you kind of bring to the table? Yeah, I always look at it through the lens of like creating value. How can I create value? You can do that in a few ways. You can educate, entertain, inform, all of that. I've chosen the educate route and not a piece of content is not necessarily more or less valuable depending on what you choose, but it starts to become very apparent of why am I watching this person? I'm inspired by them. Every time I see their videos, I'm inspired or I'm entertained. They're really funny. This is a great comedian or I'm informed. I feel very informed about what's going on in my industry or in the news or whatever. I want to be the educational route, but like we were talking about earlier, a lot of the education I put on is around the importance of personal brand, which is huge. And even through the career cheat codes, the biggest through line is just your personal brand is so important. It is the most important because your personal brand is almost like this insurance that you have. You get laid off, you lose a client, your business doesn't work out. If you have a strong personal brand and a strong network, you're always going to have another opportunity. You're never going to be left in the dust. You're always going to have something. It is like the ultimate security and the biggest asset that you possess yourself. How do you find your personal brand? Like you've obviously done a lot of trial er- trial and error. How does one decide or or lean into that niche or that that personal brand? So I actually don't believe in niches. I think the best thing to do is create content around what you're obsessed with. That's all. If you create content around what you're obsessed with, your audience, the right audiences are naturally going to gravitate towards you. So yes, there is some planning of, I want to talk about this. I have this goal. So I'm going to lean into this topic. But really, if you're just talking about what you're obsessed with, you're going to have a successful personal brand and it creates a feedback loop. So you're putting out all the things you're obsessed with. Maybe you're obsessed with running, graphic design, email marketing, Taylor Swift, and um, plants and gardening, put out content around all of that. You're, you're going to see very clear patterns in how your audience responds to that. Maybe your audience actually does not care about graphic design, but they really care about gardening. And that's Mm. something that's just a side hobby for you. You would have never thought that's how you provide value, but your audience wants more and more of it. So you're doing more and more of it. Then you're finding ways to monetize it. And because of this feedback loop, in a year or two, you're living your dream just by putting out the things that you're obsessed with and following the feedback loop of how you provide value, seeing what value your audience sees, do making more of that. And it it, it can bring you to your purpose. You do a, such a great job of, of leaning into what your things are, what people will respond to. You duplicate content across different channels and, you know, get the most out of an idea that works. How do you decide what what content people like? Like, what do you measure? How do you do that? What does that look like day to day? A big indicator for me is questions. If somebody's asking questions, if somebody wants to go deeper, 
engagement, views, all of that. Yeah, it matters and you can see trends in that, but that's not necessarily what's going to, that's not the best indicator. A lot of times views or likes is just a vanity metric, but a real metric is somebody texting you the next day and saying, hey, I saw your video about gardening. I really want to start a backyard garden. Do you have any tips? That was completely off the video, but that's somebody having questions or somebody in your video asking questions of, wow, can you go deeper into this? Or I actually don't know how to start my seeds. Can you help me with that? And that means people are starting to see you as an expert in your topic when they start asking specific questions to you and wanting to learn more. Again, this is from the education side of things. I don't think this is necessarily related to like uh, inspirational, uh, entertaining types of content, but for educational content, you want to be seen as a thought leader. And the more questions you get asked, that's like immediate green flag for, for the content type. With that in mind, do you then create content where you're kind of hoping, like, do you shape your content in a way that you're looking for those questions or they just come up organically? Yeah, I let them just come up organically because a lot of times we're not conscious to what's interesting about us and we're not conscious to how valuable our own knowledge is. We kind of think everybody knows it. We're almost numb to our knowledge. So it's it's hard to position it. It's hard to, to tee up questions. It's hard to even have certain angles because we don't know. Again, the questions create another feedback loop because you're putting out content. People are asking questions that you would have never thought of. You would have never thought they're even relevant, that your audience would even care about that. That's what happened with my career cheat codes. I put out this random video. I would have never expected people to find value in my career tips because I'm like, oh, every, there's career tips everywhere. Why Why would they need mine, you know? You and I have worked together uh, doing some kind of one-on-one training, teaching mm-hmm. me how to use LinkedIn as a tool, just like any other platform. It's its own beast. It's got an algorithm. It rewards you for certain things. It, you know, penalizes you for other things. And so um, it's important to know how to use it. And so somehow we got on the topic of movies and I was talking about how much I love when movies use color as symbolism uh, to, you know, display different things or emotions or times in people's life. And I, I thought that was obvious that production companies were doing that. The directors were purposefully you know, in the movie Her, that's a really good example of one. Um, and that everybody saw it, but they don't. No. Like I was totally blind to it. Yeah. How do people find what that thing is that they're blind to? Because I would have never made that content if you hadn't pointed out, you know, that my eyes light up when I talk about film reviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I just never would have even thought about it. How do you how do you get to that place? For me, it happened through volume. Just throwing out a million tests. Like everything is an at bat. So if even a tiny idea came up or I was doing something or thinking about something or reading something, and even if I'm like, this is so irrelevant, I'm like, I got to test it anyways. Like testing tons of different types of content, the volume is so important. The reason why I've like blown up on TikTok so fast is because I had a library of like 500 LinkedIn posts and I could go back and see all of those LinkedIn posts, which were the top performing, what were the most interesting, what were the best, and put that on TikTok. And now that I've been posting on TikTok for a while, I can see the data and see, all right, what's the most interesting? What questions am I getting? Like, it, again, it creates a feedback loop that like informs, but it, it only starts with a ton of volume and a ton of tests. And you got to get it over the cringe mountain. You got to get it over the cringe mountain. <laughs> yes. But you also have to create enough space in your day, enough time to create a lot of content. And it's, it's not something at least for me, I don't know that, you know, is instant necessarily. Sometimes you can do, you know, a quick one and done one take, but creating a lot of content takes a lot of time. How do you create all of your content? Cause like you said, you have a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think a lot of people think that creating content takes a long time, but creating content that you think is good takes a long time. If I asked you to make a TikTok in 30 seconds, you could do it. You just would be like, this isn't any good. It might be good to somebody else. It might. Maybe the quick the quick tip right off your head could be good, right? It's not necessarily in the time. It's the amount of time that we overthink and put into stuff. Of course, you do need to create space so you're not always feeling pressure because we come up with the best ideas when we're relaxed. So repurposing content is huge. I repurpose all of my content all the time. Like it's not about necessarily coming up with like a hundred things to say unless you're in the testing zone. Uh, but figuring out how to say one thing a hundred different ways and seeing what sticks. So I repurpose a ton of my content, whether that's literally just downloading the video and 
posting the exact same thing or maybe you know, taking a LinkedIn post and reading it as a script or maybe taking a TikTok and just shortening it and reposting that. But reposting content is the best way to free up time and mental space and really get the longevity of it. What are some other tools that you use to get into that headspace to one, have the courage to post a lot of content and whether or not you think it's good and two, just, you know, the world is busy. There's a lot of distractions at any given time. And to create the content, like you said, you have to come up with the idea. You have to take the time to do it, even if it's quick. How do you create that space in your day? I highly recommend the book, The One Thing. It is fantastic. That was really my catalyst of starting to create that space. And literally overnight when I read it and the next day I was creating content and on this TikTok journey, which was has been a huge part of my personal brand. So that's a great tool. And essentially it's a book that centers around a question of what is the one thing I basically have to do every day or need to focus on that will make everything else easier or unnecessary. So by nature of this question, you're making the rest of your day easier. So when I came down to that question, when I first did the book, it was post on LinkedIn. That was the thing that was going to make the rest of my day easier. Why? Because I didn't have to do outbound anymore. I knew if I posted on LinkedIn every day, I wouldn't have to go looking for clients. They would come to me. I knew that it wouldn't take as long to post on other platforms because I had this like library of content. And similar to TikTok, I'm like, I'm going to get more students. I'm going to get more like coaching clients from TikTok if I post every day. So again, it whatever your creation, if you feel called to creation or drawn to storytelling in whatever way, I promise you prioritizing that is going to make other things in your life easier. But if you put those other things first, it's going to almost make all of the space go out. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of just rearranging and, and prioritizing. And again, giving yourself permission to do it badly because every, like, you have 10 minutes in the day where you're walking in the hallway, you can do it. You're gonna think it's bad though. That's the hurdle. It's it's not the the time. What's the, what's the worst video or the worst piece of content that you put out that was actually the most successful? My highest viewed post of all time. It's like 7 million views. Really? You yeah. thought it was terrible. You thought it was terrible. I thought it was bad. It was a three or four second clip that I think I was just taking to like send to a friend or something on the tram. I, w- I, I felt insecure because my hair wasn't done. I wasn't looking good. It was bad lighting. I put audio over it and it didn't work. So I just put a robot voice and said, Pav, you randomly decided to buy a house that's only accessible by tram. It was a bad, it's a bad angle. <laughs> it's, it's a bad piece of content. And it got 7 million views. Wow. If I would have kept that in the drafts, and it took three seconds to make, literally three seconds. If I would have kept that in the drafts, I would have missed out on all of this growth. Again, it's the self-critical part of ourselves. We have to be like, all right, let me put it out. And maybe it's going to flop. Maybe you're going to put it out and it's going to flop. I've had plenty of flops. But if you find that one that hits, it's like phew, rocket ship. So how do you look at, at the flops then? Uh, do you look at those as failure or what? how do you kind of put those in line of of all of the other content that you've done? Well, I don't let myself look at any flop individually. If a video performs bad, I'm like, okay, that's just a data point. It's all a data point. And at the end of the month or at the end of 10 videos, then I can go back and see what the patterns are because it's going to become very clear. Oh, my message isn't bad. I'm not bad. I'm not dumb, whatever. But I noticed that in these three videos, I'm in my kitchen. And actually that's so weird. People, I guess, don't like the kitchen and it's really dark. Maybe that's why. Maybe the lighting just makes it hard for people to see my face. Interesting. I'll I'll think about that. But I have a lot of clients come to me and they've only posted five posts ever. And they're like, oh, they they did bad. I'm like, okay, well, you have to post 500 to really see like if they did bad. Like if you think a piece of content did bad, measure it against the other low performing pieces of content and see, and then you're going to see why. And it's never about you. It's never your idea because you could post a video with an idea or a script that bombs and post another idea with the same video, same script that does great. And it could be something as simple as your audio is weird or your hook wasn't very engaging to that specific audience, you know, or maybe like your hashtags didn't work. Yeah. Or like the time of day you posted, exactly. right? It's not, it's not, yeah. it's not about you. Yeah. There's so much we can't control um, when it comes to the content that we put out there that, you know, what eyes even get to see it much less how they react to it. That's why repurposing is so good too, mm. because you can repurpose 
a bad piece of content and it could perform great. You could repurpose a amazing performing piece of content. It could bomb the second time. Like you really don't know, but it's again, a way to double, at least double your experiments and your at bats by repurposing all of your content. And people aren't going to remember. They're not going to see it. Yeah. True. Right. How many videos have I watched? And I cannot, I could not tell you that I've seen it. Um, yeah. And I'm not really a, an angry commenter either. So it's like, uh, there's not a lot of, not a lot of stuff I would take time to even think about enough to, uh, to, to say anything, much less think anything negative about. Yeah. But if it's a piece of content we found value from it, we don't mind consuming it again. Like you're, yeah. you, I'm sure you've seen the same films many times yeah. and you learn something new every time. Or maybe True. if you really like a YouTube video, you'll watch it again or listen to the same podcast twice because there's so much information you want to get it again, right? Mm -hmm. Behavior change requires repetition. And again, our content, like the goal of content is to inspire behavior change in other people. So the more repetition we actually have on an idea, the more likely they're going to change that behavior, whether it's you should actually use this tool instead of that tool, or you should plant your seeds this way yeah. or whatever it may be. Repetition is an important part of that. So what, what, uh, videos are in your drafts now that you haven't posted? <laughs> <laughs> I have quite a few videos in my drafts, a lot, a lot of videos that are me responding to questions, like answering somebody's questions. And then they're in my drafts because I'm like, this is kind of a basic question or is my answer inspiring enough or important enough? So yeah, mostly question reply videos. Okay. <laughs> so even, but even what I guess what I'm trying to get at is even you who posts a ton of content, even you have videos in your drafts where you're like, uh, oh, maybe not. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I try to force myself to post once a day. So I have to go back to those drafts or I have to repurpose. Like I, I make it a priority, but yeah, I feel cringe all the time. Like all the time. My, my cringe mountain right now is going live. Mm. So I've been challenging myself to go live more because I feel so cringe about it because I have, Interesting. To, I have to talk for like an hour. I was gonna say, what feels, cr what feels cringe about live? Because I'm talking to myself. Well, at first you, you go a whole five or 10 minutes where nobody is there, but you have to look like you're entertaining. So people join it. So I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. Okay. Hey, like <laughs> usually I, I try to pick some topic, like 10 tips and I'm saying these tips, but no one is on it. And then people get on it. And then you're answering their questions while you're talking, while you're looking at your notes. And it's just a lot at once. And it, I, I start talking really fast and get nervous. So, I've yeah. never thought about that before. Yeah. When you start a live, like who's watching, who's no there? Nobody. <laughs> and they show a preview of your live. So if you're just waiting, nobody's going to join it. So you have to be talking to yourself. That is wild. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, uncomfy. like one, one or five people join. You're just like, oh, thank goodness. And then like I the know. one person will leave <laughs> and you're like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll talk to myself again. It's so cringy. It's, but I'm challenging myself to get over it. I, um, I don't watch a ton of lives, um, but, but the few that I have, you know, kind of ventured into anytime that I, I ask a question or leave a comment, I feel cringe. Like that's my cringe mountain is even just leaving a comment or asking a question on a stranger's content to me just feels, I don't know. So, so weird. Yeah. It, it is weird because yeah, I feel weird doing that too, because I feel like, oh, this is like fan behavior <laughs> where like if, <laughs> yeah. if somebody posts a video, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, um, encouraging them and boosting up the post. I'm going to comment to like boost this because I really like it. Yeah. But I, I feel weird commenting on people's lives too. Yeah. But then when people, you know, comment on my post, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to comment. Me too. I'm like, please comment. Please yeah. comment. ask me your questions, please. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I need, I need something to answer. I'm just like staring, like standing here by myself doing yeah, that. It's like when you're, you know, just like out and about maybe at Target or something and you see somebody with like really cute outfit and really cute shoes and you want to tell them, but you're not quite brave enough because you'll, you're, you'll feel like you look silly. But if somebody comes and tells yeah. you that you have cute boots on. You're like, oh my God, thank you so much. I mean, my whole day. Exactly. That's so funny. This is why I think a lot of like salespeople are really good at content, mm -hmm. at least like in our B2B SaaS world, salespeople are, are great at content because they're, they have rejection all the time. They're always being rejected. It is normalized for them. And getting comfortable with rejection is really important because you're going to be rejected. People aren't going to like it. People are going to, whatever. That's fine. It's, almost like developing a muscle where you're like, oh, that's not about me. That's actually about you. Like, it's fine. It's cool. Yeah. It's just a data point. It's a data point. Yeah. It's I love that. It's a data point. And it's, it's their funny. responsibility. Like it's their task on how it's their, their business, what they think about you. It's not your business. Like that's going on in their head. It's distance yourself from it. Yeah. I feel like we could open a whole nother door to just yeah. talking about boundaries. <laughs> I know. You know in boundaries, exactly. Boundaries. <laughs> um, so 
one of the things we haven't touched on yet is you do all of this yourself. Essentially, you don't have a staff. You you're a solopreneur, not an entrepreneur. What what's a solopreneur? I love the word solopreneur because it presents a different option from what we're used to. I think everyone thinks, all right, I either have to have a full-time job or be an entrepreneur and start a company and manage all these people and be responsible for all this stuff. And those are not the only two options. There are so many options and so many things in between. That's why I really like the word solopreneur because it's essentially me creating my own income and my own life for me where I don't necessarily have to have a product or again, be responsible for people. Cause I just like, I don't really like managing people. And I like flying solo. Um, it eliminates a lot of problems. Yes. It, there is a smaller, it, there's less potential. Yeah. I think if you start a huge enterprise, you, there's more upper limits, but not, not even really like maybe as a solopreneur, you're never going to be a billionaire, but like as somebody who maybe starts and exits a huge tech company, but okay. Like if that's the only upper limit, that's fine. But it's just an easier, simpler way to go about it that, yeah, eliminates a lot of problems and also really puts everything on your personal brand, which is great. Like it's, again, monetizing your personal brand. Yeah. So how do you stay motivated to do that? Because I I think one of the things that is the hardest is maybe I have a bunch of great ideas. There's a lot of cool things I want to share. I, I'm not worried about Cringe Mountain, but um, like just staying focused and motivated can that in and of itself, right. Can slow us down. How do you, how do you tackle that? Yeah, that can be really hard. I first making content creation a non-negotiable, like I have to post every day on something, even if it's bad, like it is a non-negotiable. I will literally post an Instagram story saying, I don't know what to post today. And like, boom, I did it like as a minimum viable product, the smallest, tiniest thing have to do it every day. That's that's helpful because again, some days are going to show up. It's not going to be good, but at least you're creating that habit. And once that habit is in place, it's much harder to not do it than to do it. So that's been helpful. I also have another tool. It's called Flown. Uh, I think it's flown.io. I'm not sure, but it's like virtual co-working where you go to a Zoom call, you set an intention and you kind of watch everybody else work as you work. And it could be for anything for on your computer, content creation. Even some people go in, they're like, I'm going to do my dishes. And having other people around Same. you that are working is really, really helpful. So that's another, I actually just started to implement it a few weeks ago, but that's another non-negotiable I'm bringing in my day of, can I do at least one of those a day or maybe like two of those a week or something? So it's been helpful. And so it's just like an hour long. Is your camera on? Your camera has to be okay, on. It's required. Wow. Yeah. There, it, there's a couple ones you could do. 45 minute, an hour, two hours, four hours. And there's uh, industry specific ones. So some mm -hmm. are general, then some are like only for people that are writing books. So mm -hmm. you're writing your book as you're around 10 people on the Zoom call that are also writing your book. And it just like switches your brain into this go mode. It also really teaches you like the value of an hour. You're like, wow, like the, I got so much done in this time. It, I also think too, like if I'm going to take on a new project, do I want to commit a whole flown a week to that project. And that's helpful to contextualize it because a lot of times saying like an hour or two hours is going to take this or that to do it is not real. It's not like tangible. So along with flown, this tool that you use, how is it just you? Do you have other people that you employ that you bring on from time to time to help you create all of this content? How do you just the sheer volume of, you know, all of the content that you put out that represents your brand is it's large. Mm -hmm. The volume is really not that big. It's all repurposed. Like the volume that you see, it looks like, wow, Courtney's creating five Instagram posts a day and all these TikToks and all these stories. Like, how does she do it? I really just make one a day. Most of it's repurposed. I hire people from time to time. I'm not, I hope I never have to hire a full-time person, but I have some contractors and some tools that just help me repurpose across different platforms. So I really don't touch YouTube I have somebody that just repurposes my content to YouTube. I really don't touch Instagram reels. I have somebody that repurposes that for me. And then there's some, again, some tools too, where I can schedule that make it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And where do you find people who can, you know, schedule things for you in, in Instagram and, or yeah, just take care of some of those little yeah. tasks for you? Yeah. Upwork is great for that. Like fantastic tool. LinkedIn is really good as well. Interesting. 
And then I've had people just cold outreach me that I've worked with a few times saying, I really like your content. I want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. Can I, you know, you can hire me to do this. And I'm like, okay. So yeah, but Upwork is probably the go-to. There's also another, I guess, good reason to actually read all of your messages too <laughs> that you get on LinkedIn, right? Because I'm sure, yes. you, I'm sure like I get quite a few and I don't have the same following, but yeah. Do you, do you read all of your messages and all of your comments that you get? I do, but I'm, I'm starting to become a little too much because I find myself doing that as almost a thing where I'm trying to be productive, but I'm not really like, it's not productive to go in and read every comment. And it's not productive to go through my spam Instagram message folder. But yeah, it's something that I, it's not a productive task, but I feel like it is in the moment, even though I know it's not. So it's something I'm trying to get over and like work to not do. It's like checking your email or your Slack all the time, or even scrolling through LinkedIn. I think this is a reason why LinkedIn works so well is because scrolling through LinkedIn is a way to feel productive at work when it's like the afternoon and you're like, I'm doing something work related, but it's not really. So, yeah. And at three o'clock, three o'clock, you're like, let's see, let's see what's going on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, go, go take up space on LinkedIn because everyone's scrolling at three o'clock to try to look productive at the office. Interesting. <laughs> is, is that true though? Is that real? Like there are certain times of day where LinkedIn kind of like flares up the usage. <laughs> yeah, but yes, but LinkedIn is so global that it's really geography. Okay. Um, yeah. So oriented. three o'clock in the United three States in the US. is not the same as. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a billion people on LinkedIn now. So that's like huge all over the world. But I, I post everything in the morning because I also feel like that's a kind of a morning task too. You like are a little bit afraid to tackle your inbox. So you're just going to check LinkedIn first. But yes, check your LinkedIn messages. There, There's always, you know, and, and a lot of people think LinkedIn messages are, it's only recruiters in there or whatever. But it could be someone that wants to interview you for something. It could be a, a small side project you take on. It could be somebody, maybe a college student wanting some advice or even somebody that potentially wants to work for the company that you're at and wants a referral. Like there's so many opportunities that can come out of it. So yeah, check your messages. <laughs> um, so we've talked a lot about LinkedIn, about TikTok, um, Instagram. So these are channels that you use to post your content. But another thing that you do a lot of is um, you create these courses mm -hmm. that you have people sign up for. And just in general, what I think is really interesting about your solopreneurship is you have this personal brand where you create educational content on making content. And then you just look at a lot of different ways to tell people about that. Tell me about that kind of mentality around not just doing TikTok or LinkedIn or courses, but a little bit of everything. Yeah. I want to have multiple streams of income. So I'm not reliant on one thing because I've been laid off. I've also been a freelancer that has had one huge client that, you know, contract goes down and you, you multiple times where I relied too much on one thing. So I, in monetizing my knowledge around social media and marketing and content and all of that, I try to find different streams. So I'm not focused only on one thing. So I have a, a paid Patreon, I have a mentorship program. And then, yeah, I have my, my courses uh, on Maven, which is also a really good tool. They're actually here in Austin as well. And it's a great live teaching platform. So it's not an asynchronous course. It's like you're going through with small groups and it just, the results that come out of it are much bigger because there's that, again, similar to the stuff on Flown, you're seeing other people do the same thing as you're doing it. And the motivation that comes from it is is really great because when it comes to something like social media, the cringe mountain is so big that you almost have to have that support or you're just not going to do it. And I would be putting out stuff that's like not helping people. Yeah. I think what's so interesting about the course and then taking the class because it's not async is that, yeah, you meet people and then you can get over it together. There's something really powerful in, in the community part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that the community that you've been able to create around these different courses, around all of the people that you've taught, people that um, reach out to you in the comments or maybe text you on the side or email you on the side, is that um, is that what kind of keeps you going? Is that kind of lead to kind of growing your passion and in, in what you're doing with this like brand, teaching people about their personal brands? 
Yeah, what keeps me going is seeing the results, like seeing somebody reach out and say, oh, I got a job because of you, or I got my first client because of you, or maybe someone that runs a brand account and they're like, we're, you know, we're seeing more traction because we're implementing this stuff on our Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And seeing other people's results is what keeps me going because I'm like, okay, I'm having an impact. <laughs> this is important. Like I need to keep doing what I'm, what I'm doing. And I'm really passionate about it too. It's, it's very fun. And I, I am obsessed with it. Like it is a fun thing. And again, I think if you follow your obsession, it's hard to not lose as long as you keep going. Ooh, so then what's, what's hard about your day to day then? If, if you're, if you're doing what you're passionate about all the time, what, what, what's the part that you're like, oh man, you know, I got to do this today. <laughs> I hate to say it publicly, but my <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part is, is client work because I'm still doing client work and I'm not to the point yet where I can release those projects and only focus on my own content. So the thing that I'm like, eh, I don't really like this is making other people's content. Making It's not that I don't like it. It's definitely been a fun part and a very important part of my journey, but I don't wanna do social media management of other people's stuff forever because it's almost like writing for somebody else, creating art for somebody else, or even for a brand, it's like, creating something through a voice that's not even like a real human. So that can be draining, especially since I'm like using my creative energy on something else. So I, I'd like to do less of that. And that's kind of what I dread. <laughs> Sorry, clients. <laughs> Love you guys. So as, so as you're managing other people's brands, what, what is it that they're doing wrong? Just in general, what, what do kind of B2B, B2C companies, what are they not implementing that you think would make them more successful? Yeah, the main reason why most organizations just suck on social media is there's not a ton of creative freedom for the marketing team. And I think we have this battle of maybe like a CRO or maybe the head of marketing or whatever battling with the team of marketing being like, no, I actually really understand the culture of what I'm putting out. Like with this, you guys are understand the culture of podcasts and you understand what goes into it. Same as, as social, you have to really understand the culture of social, but that's really hard to explain to someone that's leading the marketing team that maybe isn't super involved in that. So I think there's way too much over planning, over strategizing and not enough like art in it, like actual creative, fun ideas. That's number one. Number two, there's not enough people. Most brands only feed all of their content through a non-human entity. Like it is their logo and their branding, which is so important. It is so important. But if they want their customers to connect, they have to incorporate people. Maybe that is doing some sort of content series with your team, with your founder, CEO, whoever, doing some sort of thought leadership, having employee takeovers of a page. Just having people on the page is what what is going to want to make people follow. And too much buttoned up on brand, like having to be that all the time. Nobody wants to follow that. Nobody is excited for your next webinar. What they are excited for is becoming a better version of themselves and what your webinar can help them do. Oh, you can help them learn to use the product in this way that impresses their boss or actually saves them three hours of work a week. Like that's how you need to be positioning stuff. And then again, coming in from personal brands and people don't just promote this like random logo of, uh, webinar you're doing, but who's the person behind it? Who are you going to be learning from? Why are they cool? Why do you want to talk, like hear from them? When you can have a human focused social media, it's always going to perform well, but being too brand focused actually doesn't work. Yeah. I, th I think that's really cool too. the, just kind of the like circular nature of that. Right. So if, if employees or just people in general have a strong personal brand and then they can lend that to the, you know, the company's brand, then they can, you know, essentially, you know, What's, what's that word? Um, like symbiotic? symbiotic? Yeah, symbiotic. symbiotic yeah. Yes. <laughs> a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> well, this is a great example of a great a social strategy is creating a podcast with humans, like actual people yeah. in your organization that your audience can get to know and really like find value in. And then having people like me and other guests on the podcast is it's great. Like this is a human focused social media strategy that you can obviously distribute this content. It, it's way it's infinitely more entertaining and valuable than being like, here's our newest product feature. That's great. But it's really hard to get people to care. It's hard. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. 
So evidence of, of that kind of success then is when somebody reaches out to you and says, Hey, I got a job or asks a question about, Hey, how would I, how would I do this? How would I approach this situation with my boss? How does, we kind of touched it on this already, just like that, that means your content was successful and that helps drive your passion. But how does, as cheesy as it sounds, like, how does that make you feel when you, when you find out your content has worked and it's achieved its goal? At first it made me feel almost bad because I couldn't, you know, like if somebody's like, oh, you look great today. And you're like, oh, well, I got this shirt for $10 on the sale rack. Like you're almost putting down yourself. <laughs> I totally I do, do that. that. <laughs> me too. Um, so I would actually play it down and I, I felt insecure about it. I'm like, well, I, you did it yourself. Like I didn't really help you because mm. you could have like, and I realized that I wasn't allowing myself to like take a compliment. So yeah, it, it made me feel bad. And then I had to get over that. And now, now I feel empowered. Mm. It used to scare me. And which is important to, to, Think about because a lot of times these wins that happen in our life or with content creation, you go viral, something great happens, whatever. It can feel scary where you shut down. The amount of people I've talked to that are like, I went viral viral once, scared the shit out of me, totally deleted my account. So yeah, started off feeling insecure about it, but now I'm feeling more confident and, and really happy. And again, it's so encouraging because it makes me want to keep going. And so how do you respond now instead of saying, oh my gosh, I got this shirt for only $10. <laughs> what's what's the equivalent now? Yeah, I, I just gratitude. I say like, thank you. Not just thank you for telling me that, but like, mm. thank you for your encouragement. Like yeah. I let them know, thank you for being here and supporting me. Again, it's a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> um, yeah, just with gratitude. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, thank you again for coming on one of our inaugural episodes of The Rough Draft. Uh, we we're so excited to have you. I think that was such a fun conversation yeah, that we had. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're going to um, put all of the information about the tools and the things that you mentioned in the show notes. And then also you have a podcast coming out this month as well. Tell me about it. So I have a podcast called Slay the Gatekeeper. It comes out sometime in February. And it's all about ungatekeeping the cheat codes of life. So we have career cheat codes, marketing cheat codes, personal brand cheat codes, and then some cheat codes about some, some other topics. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we're kind of cutting the fluff, getting right to tactical wins, like tactical things that you can implement in your life right now that are going to make a big change. So I'm really excited about that project. Okay. And where can people reach you? Where can they find you, find out about the podcast, your Patreon, all of that good stuff? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Courtlyn Johnson, or on TikTok at Courtney period period Johnson. And all of my info, all my links, everything is there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us and thanks for such a fun chat. Thank you, Amanda. All right. That's it for today's episode of The Rough Draft. To learn more about our guest and to find links and resources related to the conversation, check out rev.com slash podcast. That's rev.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to rate and subscribe in order to stay up to date with the latest episodes and help other creatives find us. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of The Rough Draft.